Hello everyone, this is episode 14 of Glass City Game Time, one of America's great, great sports podcasts, brought to you, as always, by The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thanks for listening to episode number 14. We are recording from The Blade Building in downtown Toledo, and it is Super Bowl 54 week. 49ers and Chiefs set to kick off from Miami at 6.30 on Sunday, and we will get into a different angle at the big game for this year. We'll talk about some local connections, some Toledo area connections to Super Bowl 54. Joining me this week, sitting across from me, is Blade Sports writer Steve Junga. Hi, Corey. How are you? I'm here. I'm ready to go. Phil Kaplan, technical producer, as always. Gentlemen. Philip. How are you? I'm great. Great. But before we get into Super Bowl 54, uh, we want to take a moment to address the tragedy that happened this past weekend uh, out in Calabasas, California. NBA legend, all-around legend Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and seven others uh, tragically passed away after a helicopter crash. And the impact has been felt, no question, around the world of sports and pop culture I'm sure we could all sit here and share Kobe Bryant stories all evening and all afternoon and the impact that he had maybe on our own lives as sports fans or even as people. But the thing that I am really encouraged by over these last few days as now it's been three, four days since this has happened is the overwhelming response by not just the NBA, but by the whole sports world in general. You see NBA teams taking the violations, the 24 second and the eight second You see players changing their jerseys if they wore 24 or 8, changing their jersey numbers out of respect. And uh, there's no question that we all felt a piece of that loss from this past weekend when we heard when it happened. Absolutely, and I had the opportunity to watch a lot. I wouldn't say as much as some people were probably glued to the set, but a lot of talk shows talking about uh, their reaction, people that knew him and – just uh, the overwhelming uh, thought was just respect and just disbelief that he was gone. And it's when someone passes in that way, that is, the, it's the sudden nature of it and the age. You know, 41 years old, uh, you just uh, see a guy like that is almost invincible, you know, and uh, didn't was not even out of the game long enough to be inducted into the Hall of Fame yet. He won an Oscar a couple of years ago. Um, had a ton of life left in him and uh, and his, his poor daughter and the rest of the other people in the crash as well. Where were you guys when you found out? It's one of those moments, is it not? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'll never forget. It's a John Lennon kind of moment. Where were you when you heard the news? I had just seen 1917 with my dad, mm. and we were at the mall food court, which is somewhere... My dad and I see a movie about once every three years, and never do we sit at the mall food court. And We were having, like, a man-to-man conversation about life and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I got, like, five dings on my phone, and I was like, no way. Mm-hmm. And, and that was it. That was it. For me, well, no connection there with you. And your my father was actually born in 1917. You bring that movie up. Oh my I God. saw it a couple we of weeks <laughs> ago. And uh, numerology well, podcast served we'll in continue. World War Two, but back to Kobe, I was not in um, a place like that Sunday, just at home doing some work uh, in relation to the job um, at my kitchen table, 
and uh, they broke in on one of the shows, and I, I'm sure I got it way late, but it was just, I was stunned, I mean, like anybody else. Um, Kobe, to me, I'm a lifelong Boston Celtic fan, and if you're that, you're also a Laker, um, you're against the Lakers. Un- unfan. Uh, an unfan. I don't want to say hate or pour that in. But uh, I give him the ultimate respect because of how good, not just against the Celtics, but in all those finals and the playoff appearances, it seems like he never missed a big shot late in the game. And no matter how much you don't want somebody to do well when they do that often, you just got to give him credit. And I, I really liked, respected, admired that guy. I was at a friend's house. I drove back to Youngstown this past weekend. And on Sunday was the Royal Rumble, which is the second biggest event on the WWE calendar next to WrestleMania. Which makes it the second biggest event of the year. Period. Just in general, right? At all. Yeah. <laughs> forget the World Series. Forget <laughs> the Super Bowl. Event forget it all. Royal Rumble. So the Rumble match didn't start until, you know, 7.30 that night. Or rather, the pay-per-view didn't start till that night. So it's about, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock when this breaks. We're sitting in my buddy's dining room playing a board game. Me, uh, my best friend, I'm his best man at his wedding, shout out, my buddy Evan, and my other buddy Jake, we call him Smags. We were playing Fallout, if you remember Fallout, the computer game from back like in the late 90s, and then it later became a console game and a console series on Xbox and PlayStation. This look into Youngstown, like linguistics and hobbies, it's just, I love this. So we were playing Fallout. And we're just you, kind of Evan and out. Smags. Yeah, me, Evan and Smags, or Spags if you're Italian. Okay. We're just hanging out and same thing. Get about five dings on my phone, and I got a buddy who's a big NBA fan. He texts me, my friend Kent, and he goes, Hey, Kobe's dead. And I'm like, No, this is some hoax. And he sent me the link to the TMZ article, which was like the first to have things because they always are somehow. Dude, yeah. And, at first and they're I'm always like, right. And at first, I'm like, it's TMZ. Is it a hoax or is it real? They're always right. They usually are. Yeah. I'll give them that. They usually are. But there's just like that one thing that you, it's that disbelief in your head that it's like, there's no way this is a real thing. 41 years old. Literally, I remember watching his final game where he put up 60 on the Jazz like it was yesterday, which, by the way, kudos to ESPN for changing programming up the other night to air that game. To put that game on. Yeah, it was yeah. dope. You know, they didn't talk about it, but that game is what gave birth to the big three. Mm-hmm. The three-on-three um, basketball show that features former NBA legends. Because Ice Cube watched that game, and he was like, this dude's retiring. He just put up 61. There are guys that people want to see play, and that's where the idea for the big three came up. And he very well could have been a part of that. And people that knew Kobe closely, you see the media, big media, and his teammates, former teammates, They're saying the best was yet to come for him. You mentioned winning the Oscar and doing so much for women's basketball. His daughters obviously uh, wanted to go to UConn. His daughter Gianna, who also passed away, obviously wanted to go to UConn. So uh, it's just sad. It's just overall sad. The thing that stood out to me when you talk about the time he would have left and what he would have done with it uh, is a number of the people that were really close to him Mm -hmm. made it it a point to talk about how he was really happy for the first time. Well, maybe not the first time, but completely free of the pressures of the game, um, public opinion, whatever. 
he was uh, like in a new skin almost. He and could choose. He was at the point in life where he could choose. Absolutely. And was just beginning to enjoy things and young enough to do it. And then, boom. I just have two smaller points on Kobe just as a, a basketball player. As somebody who plays a lot of basketball and is not very gifted, I have to rely on like trickster stuff a lot and even though Kobe Bryant was incredibly incredibly gifted he also engaged in every little advantage he could get and I think about first of all old Kobe when he was not old Kobe but the the early later Kobe. Kobe when he was wearing 24 and he switched to that jersey and all of a sudden he was playing in like a triple XL jersey and <laughs> big shorts and we were like what is going on and he was just doing that just to get a couple extra foul calls because his jersey would sway mm-hmm. everywhere and I just thought that that was like it's so the cool for somebody yeah, to, to I, do that kind of stuff who, who already has all the advantages but then looks for every crack that he could find. I just heard one of the stories I heard along that line was uh, from uh, Dwayne Wade um, was on this panel and they were talking about it was uh, one of Kobe's former Laker teammates talking about how Wade hit him on the arm late in the game on a shot and it didn't go in and he didn't get the foul call and they lose the game and he came back to the arena in Miami on the road at 2 in the morning and had one of the assistant coaches uh, work with him bumping his arm on shots he was practicing shooting through getting bumped on the arm mm-hmm so that he could play through and that would not happen again. That was a perfect example of his work ethic. 2 a.m. on the road, back to the arena. On the road. That's just, incredible. He's just a transcendent player, a transcendent guy, and there's no doubt that the, the world, regardless whether you're in sport or out of sport, is going to miss him. Uh, on to our scheduled programming for today, for today's Glass City game time. Super Bowl 54 between the 49ers and the Chiefs kicks off at 6.30, which means it kicks off at 9.30, seemingly, <laughs> on Sunday with all the commercials and all the fanfare beforehand. It'll be around 6.45. Um, but there is a number, and Steve came up with most of these off the top of his head, which is impressive in itself, a number of Toledo-area connections to the Super Bowl and its history. And we're not really looking at UT and Bowling Green connections here because we could be here for hours doing that. But we're talking about people born here, people going to high school around here, then going to play college elsewhere, and then finding that success. And it has been from the 70s up until the 2010s where there has been representation in the Super Bowl. And it starts with defensive back Rick Volk. And Rick Volk from Toledo went to Wauseon. He won Super Bowl V with the Baltimore Colts. They beat Dallas that year. Three-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, and that was the one-time NFL champion that he earned. And, Steve, there is a long laundry list of history surrounding Rick Volk in this area. Absolutely. Now, I must note that he was born in Toledo. I'm not sure how if it was just mom came to town because the hospital was good. <laughs> but he grew up and played football at Wauseon where he was a multi-sport star. Went on to the University of Michigan where he became an All-American uh, defensive back in the mid-60s. And then on to the uh, Baltimore Colts, coached by Don Shula, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he was the first from our area, unless somebody can find a, another thread somewhere else, that actually played in a Super Bowl. 
He was in the infamous, if you will, for Baltimore anyway, Super Bowl three, where Joe Namath made the prediction that they were going to beat him. They were, I think, an 18-point underdog and ended up winning the game. But Rick had uh, – he played in the Super Bowl three. He played in Super Bowl five, where the Colts beat the uh, Dallas uh, Cowboys on a last-second field goal. But the family connection goes back another generation before him. His uncle um, – his uh, mother's brother was uh, Bob Chapius, and I'm not sure a lot of people around here will remember that name. Hail Bob Chapius absolutely uh, <laughs> played for the University of Michigan on their last national championship team before the Charles Woodson group in 97. It was back in 1948. Bob just happened to be the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy that year. And that was after he did something even more heroic. He uh, he began his career, first of all, he played at DeVilbus High School, the former DeVilbus High School here in Toledo, and went to Michigan, and uh, World War II breaks out. And he, um, I don't know if he enlisted or was drafted, but he ended up as a, uh, uh, in the Air Force, a bombardier, and his plane was shot down over Italy. Um, this is midway through the war. Uh, late, later on in the war, and uh, he and one of the survivors that parachuted down um, managed to get to an Italian, the home of an Italian family, and uh, stowed away up in an attic for mm-hmm. about a month because the town was occupied by Nazis. He survived that ordeal with the help of the daughter of the family, who uh, had a little kind of a relationship going on with one of the Nazis. Have you and, guys and, not read Catch-22? This is just like Catch... This well, is like Yosarian. He's well, Yosarian. Well, he... Actually, he was Bob Chappius because he <laughs> did it. Um, survives that. He and his uh, um, plane mate, they get across the border, find their way on foot, mm-hmm. and get eventually get back home. Wow. Then he resumes his career at Michigan and has the great season on the national championship team and, like I said, was runner-up for the Heisman. Now you move on to Rick Volk, who's the the, uh, son of his sister, and we've mentioned what Rick did. His his nephew was a guy named Corey Griggs, who was an outstanding three-sport athlete at Wauseon in the Mm mid-'90s, who played in three state championships in three different sports. Football, baseball, and basketball. How rare and, is that anymore, too? And was the team lead, and they won two of them, and he was the best player on all three teams. Um, his daughter, Kylie Griggs, is currently one of the best basketball players in the area, junior guard at Perrysburg, and also, um, I would say, the best infielder from this area in softball who's probably going to have a Division One career in that sport. So that's an amazing family connection. Amazing that's a, family connection. That's a long thread, too, to to get through. Incredible lineage. Thank you, Steve. That's that's why we have Steve Junga in here, right? You're, an, you're an institution the, unto yourself, I'm the Cliff buddy. Clavin of the blade. Man. <laughs> Man. There's a lot of connections that interweave through the Super Bowl, the history of the Super Bowl. And a couple of them right here in defensive back Curtis Johnson, who went to wait, won Super Bowl seven and Super Bowl eight with the Dolphins, and he was part of the 72 Dolphins undefeated season. And he is intertwined in a way with Ron McDole, who went to DeVilbus. He's a two-time AFL champion, but he played 
in Super Bowl Seven, the team that Johnson's Dolphins defeated. Yeah, and there's about a 10-year gap in age between those two guys. Curtis played at weight in the mid-60s. He would move on to the University of Toledo, became an All-American defensive back, played on the first year of the Rockets' famous 35-0 and run. He played in 69. That, that run went from 69 to 71. And uh, was drafted, or ended up with the Miami Dolphins with Don Shula, um, mm-hmm. connection to Rick Volk. And Curtis played in super, in three Super Bowls. He played in the one they lost, Dallas, Super Bowl six, and then played in on that 17-0 uh, team in 1972 against the Redskins, McDole's team, and then won another one against the Vikings in Super Bowl eight. McDole is a guy who... Uh, Grew up here in Toledo, went to uh, DeVilbus High School, played on some of their great teams back in the mid-50s, had an NFL and AFL career. I believe he won a couple championships with the Buffalo Bills in the AFL. And he wound up on this uh, this team um, with the Redskins, Coach George Allen. The linemen on that team, were the defensive side, were known as the over-the-hill gang because he had some of these you know cast-off guys from other teams um, he was already in his mid-30s when he played in that team. His, his nickname was the Dancing Bear. Mm. Big guy, moved very well <laughs> even as an older guy. And that Super Bowl, in case, uh, I think if you remember the one thing about it, although it also completed that 17-0 and season for the Dolphins, it's, it's the one where the Dolphins kicker, Gary Upremian, tried to – uh, was going to attempt a field goal. There was a bad snap. He tries to pick the ball up and throw a pass only – he doesn't know how to pass a ball and can barely <laughs> hold on to it. Ball falls out of his hands, and I think it was Mike Bass, the defender for Washington, who ran it back. Mm-hmm. It was their only touchdown in the game. They lost 14-7 to to the Dolphins. A couple more threads here, too. Both on the 1977 Denver Broncos. On that offense, you had running back Rob Lytle from Fremont, went to Michigan to play football collegiately. Uh, he played in Super Bowl Twelve along with wide receiver Rick Upchurch from Toledo, went to Springfield. Upchurch, overall in his NFL career, a little bit more story than Lytle. Four Pro Bowls, three All-Pros, 119 career games played. Again, part of that Super Bowl Twelve team. Yeah, great stories all around on these guys. Rick Upchurch uh, actually was, a, <coughs> like you said, a multiple Pro Bowl selection. He was one of the first uh, very well-known kick returners, punt returners in the NFL, and was very good at it. And uh, he had a uh, remarkable high school career that, uh, you know, it was a very difficult family situation for Rick Upchurch. I think both of his parents passed away while he was in high school. I think he, or if they didn't pass away, he was not with his parents, mm-hmm. raised by grandparents. And at some point, the family was gone, and he was living by himself, working a job at a Burger King, and somehow eking out a you know a life and staying in high school. He winds up uh, going to a junior college and continuing his football career. He was a spectacular high school player at Springfield, and then uh, worked his way up to the uh, to Minnesota in the Big Ten. Had a good two years there, drafted, and the rest is history. Rob Lytle, <coughs> another connection here. From Fremont Ross, um, graduated in the same class with another guy we haven't mentioned yet, Bob Brudzinski. And we will pretty soon here, yep. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that, but that um, it seems to be that there's some kind of a thread connecting all of these guys so mm-hmm. far. 
this one hits a little to me because my dad grew up a big uh, L.A. Rams fan, and if he's listening to this podcast, he's going to cringe in a minute here because we have to talk about the 1979 uh, Super Bowl. Super Bowl fourteen played in 1980. That was Steelers versus the Rams, and Bob Brzezinski, Fremont Ross grad, went to Ohio State, played in Super Bowl fourteen with the L.A. Rams as part of 13 seasons with the Rams and the Dolphins. And on that coaching staff, this is the only UT reference we're going to hit here, former UT head coach and director of athletics Frank Lauterbur from 63 to 70 was with UT. He's a UT Athletics Hall of Famer. He was an assistant coach for the Rams in that Super Bowl. Yes, and there's your another connection with him and Curtis Johnson. Uh, Frank coached the first two seasons of that 35-0 and run and then took a job at Iowa. And Brudzinski connecting back to the Dolphins with Curtis Johnson. And this is a very interesting note. Brudzinski and Rob Lytle, like I mentioned, were classmates at uh, Fremont Ross. Four years later, after graduating, they were also both consensus All-Americans, one at Michigan and Brudzinski at at Ohio State. So uh, it doesn't get much better than that. This is the one alumnus of a team that is in this year's Super Bowl, and I'm looking at linebacker Willie Harper, who is an alum of Scott. He was a Super Bowl 16 champion with the 49ers, which was their first, and that was when Joe Montana really put himself on the map. Right. Willie Harper has a distinction, uh, pretty good teams at Scott, but he played in, um, at least in my lifetime, the first, what several people have named these games of the century. The first one I remember was back in, 1971 or two, I think it was 71, Nebraska-Oklahoma, one of the greatest games ever played. He played in that game on that team, a national championship team from Nebraska, and then goes on and plays with uh, the 49ers, wins a Super Bowl. He's a rare national champion Super Bowl winner, um, outstanding career, and uh, he, he uh, hit some low spots in his, his life, um, drugs, and bounced back and... Uh, just had a, a his life after that was was outstanding. And then a year later, more Toledo representation. Super Bowl seventeen, and then Super Bowl nineteen is when John Geisler, offensive lineman from Woodmore, participated. He played a lengthy NFL career with the Miami Dolphins. He played nine seasons with them, and again played in two Super Bowls. Lost to the Redskins in Super Bowl seventeen. Lost to the Forty ers in Super Bowl nineteen. Right, another. Uh... Uh, it's a guy that you, you just, uh, he's almost like the answer to a trivia question, and you have you struggle to, what was that guy from Woodmore? But John Geisler, a tremendous football player, um, and uh, played on some really great teams in the NFL. These next three are, are, are names that somebody in their 20s, a la me, will easily recognize. Two of these with the Pittsburgh Steelers. One was a champion with the Green Bay Packers, and I feel like these three are very obvious names if you're from the Toledo area. We'll start with wide receiver Nate Washington, who went to Scott. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion with the Steelers in Super Bowl Forty and Super Bowl Forty-Three. Played for four NFL teams, had over 450 career catches, and really, when you look at that Steelers wide receiver core, between Heinz Ward, between Santonio Holmes, you had a slew of talent there at Pittsburgh. Heath Miller at tight end, and Washington was one of those guys that just fit on that offense as one of those catalysts. Yeah, it's an um, interesting story. In high school, um, it was hard to uh, remember much of, of his career in terms of producing statistics because Scott didn't, just didn't throw the ball that much. So he was a receiver that 
caught very few passes. Um, he didn't make his bones until he got, got to Tiffin University, and he could show his true talent. That bought him the ticket to the NFL, and uh, he made the most of it. He's one of the most unheralded, unsung local heroes in football, and I'm still not sure he gets his due. These next two here are, I would say, for sure Hall of Famers. Ben Roethlisberger, Lima native, went to Finley, two-time Super Bowl champ, again with the Steelers, 40-43, and 43, six-time Pro Bowler, eighth all-time in career passing yards with over 56,000, ninth in career pass touchdowns with 363, 12th in completion percentage, over 64% of his passes. I mean, I would say a surefire Hall of Famer. When you look at the lineage and the greatness of his career in Pittsburgh, any Steelers fan will, will associate Big Ben as the 1A to Terry Bradshaw. Absolutely. Um, I think everybody would remember how the career started for him at the high school level. He was coached by Cliff Height at uh, Finley, and Cliff Height's son, Ryan, was the quarterback Ben's junior year. And giving full credit to Ryan Height, he was an all-district quarterback as a, as a senior, so it wasn't like he was a slouch. But the talk out of the town was, you know, they had another guy that should have been playing quarterback. I think that became evident the next year. Ben, I can still remember his stats. His one year at quarterback in high school at Finley, 12 games, 54 touchdown passes, and threw for 4,041 yards. And that was in a day where, I mean, you see numbers like that more common these days with spread offenses. This was at the just the cusp of the spread offensive era. And he wasn't he wasn't doing it out in some division five six thing where the athletes just can't keep up. This was at the division one level. One of the games uh, he threw for eight touchdowns against Fremont Ross. <laughs> His last game where they lost uh, in the second round of the playoffs to the top ranked team in the state that year, Grove City. He threw for six touchdowns and they lose fifty nine to forty one because they couldn't stop the run. He goes on to Miami, a red shirts a year, mm-hmm. and uh, just has a phenomenal three-year run there. Ends in a MAC championship. I believe they were 13-1 and one his senior year. Mm-hmm. By his, I think he owns an NFL record for the most wins to start a career, something like 14 or 15 consecutive starts. And uh, Ben has just done it all, been it all. And uh, if it ended uh, last year with whatever, he, he is a Hall of Famer. Here's another guy that should be in Canton, at least by my standards. And defensive back Charles Woodson, Fremont Ross graduate, Michigan. We all know wide receiver, corner, Heisman with Michigan. But then you look at his NFL career, nine-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. And then later in that career with the Green Bay Packers at Super Bowl forty-five, he finally got that ring. 254 career games and 65 interceptions. And he's regarded as one of the best to do it at his position ever not only the best but the longevity is remarkable he had a few injuries there was some uh, i think he broke an arm at one point even in the super bowl he didn't get he was injured early in that game and didn't get to play most of it but uh i think it was 18 seasons in the nfl and most of that rock solid that year they won the super bowl i believe he was the nfl's defensive player of the year and, and from my personal perspective, covering local sports, the absolute best, bar none, high school football player I've ever seen in our area. In its hand. That includes Ben Roethlisberger. In high school, he was a running back. Wow. And uh, there was a game, um, 
his senior year against Clay where they won like 70 to 7. I think he had close to 400 yards rushing and scored I believe seven or eight touchdowns in one game. But his last game in high school, I covered it. It was at Parma. They played Maslin Washington. Mm-hmm. Lost uh 35 to 34 to 35 to 28, 34. Either one way. Game, yeah. He he ran for 232 yards, four touchdowns, a two-point conversions and conservatively had somewhere around 15 to 20 tackles in that game. Just absolutely <laughs> lights out. Goodness. Um, and this was against top-notch competition. Oh, Maslin Washington is up there. Way they up always there. have been, and, and I think a lot, a lot of recent years people thought maybe they are overrated from their history, but I can assure you that year they were still Maslin Washington. So it took us a while to set the pins up here, if you will, because there was 10. Um, and excuse us for an elongated podcast this week, but I feel like it's very warranted. But when you look at these 10, you almost could look at two Hall of Famers in Roethlisberger and Woodson. Volk, very good. Uh, you know, there's they say the Hall of Fame is the elite of the elite. When you look back at what Rick Volk did in his career, yeah, you might be able to put him there, but you could also definitely say he's at least in the Hall of very, very good, if you will. So I almost want to give a little ranking here and, and, and to look at who was the greatest champion from this area. And I think the obvious Mark answer would to say M-A-R-K as in like someone that's subject to the numbers and is like, wow, that's something. He's got to be number one, not Mark Monroe. He's not involved today. He's, he's our walleye guy. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Sorry, Mark. We'll get him in soon again. You got to look at Roethlisberger versus Woodson here in that kind of battle because they're both the closest to Canton, if you will. Who would you say is the greatest champion that came from this area? Well, I would recognize Woodson as the greatest high school player from this area and college, for that matter, for what, you know, he was the first primarily defensive player to ever win the, only to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Remarkable career um, in, at his position, was was among the best throughout his career. But Roethlisberger has put up some astounding numbers, over 55,000 yards passing, two Super Bowl victories, played in another one. Mm-hmm. Um, Lost to one, Wilson and his Packers. Absolutely. My Packers, by the way. <laughs> Uh-oh. And, He's uh, a Packers and a Celtics guy. He likes uh, the green. Uh, Man, yeah. You like St. Mixed, Patrick's Day. Uh, well, I'm also a Bruins fan, believe it or not, yeah, and the so Detroit Boston. Tigers, so I have some local. He goes around. Okay. It all has to do with the year 1968. We won't go into that. That's that's another. That's wow, when I started podcast. following sports. That'll be another show, and maybe a Google <laughs> search for me. But anyway, if, if when it comes down to that, I would say for just uh, at the NFL level, Ben's done a little more that's noteworthy than than uh, Charles. Steve, do you know? You mean you know everything? So any of these older guys, do they have nicknames? There are any nicknames available for well, you guys? Well, um, the only one I can think of off the top of my head was that uh, um, Ron McDold was was the dancing bear, and it was a, appropriate. He was a okay. bigger, and and back in those days, the guys weren't hitting the the weight room like they are, and all chiseled and everything. He was a he was what a. 280-pound guy that's in his mid-30s would look like that. Oh, my goodness. So, so Ron, Dancing Bear McDole, I have some I have some for the rest. I'll submit Okay. maybe they can be considered since they don't have nicknames. We have Rick Lightning Volt. Okay. 
Curtis can't be beat Johnson because he played on the undefeated Dolphins. Yeah. Rick, take him to Upchurch. Fair. Rob, Big Lytle. Willie Strings Harper. I really reached for that one. Yeah, I, where'd you get that from? I, I just made, just making them up as I go here. Bob Zink Brzezinski, Frank Lauterberger Lauterber. All right, that's bad. The last one is John Goose Geesler. That's it. We're done. Oh, Goose Geesler is pretty obvious. Too, okay, though. thank you. And not a moment right. too soon. Not okay. a moment too soon. <laughs> this is the only Super Bowl Fifty Four talk we will have in this podcast, and it's a simple question: What do you think is going to happen? Steve, we'll start with you. You know, I uh, actually like both teams. Um, I like watching them play. I like the 49ers less because they took my Packers out twice this season <laughs> and embarrassed them both times. Oh. I love Kansas City's ability to score at will, although I don't see that happening this week. Mm-hmm. It's it's a coin flip. Uh, I In these cases, I usually side with the defensive teams, and if I had you put a gun to my head, I'm going to say the 49ers by three. There you go, Phil. Well, let's go into the numerology of this uh, Super Bowl 54. Okay, I just want to point out, Phil brought out what looks like a mini black pocketbook. Okay. But is probably it looks like a checkbook if you it's really got look a from lot afar. of numbers in here, but I'll just reference what I feel are the salient numbers. This year, as, as I'm sure you all are aware, is a leap year. So there's 366 days this year. Okay. So Super Bowl 54 happens on the 33rd day of the year with 333 days remaining, and it happens on 2-2-2020 for the NFL's 100th year. So if you're gambling, if you're into gambling <laughs> or numbers of any kind, I would say that Sunday is your day to roll the dice with some of these numbers. It, it, unlike any alignment we'll probably ever see in another Super Bowl again. Other than that, I like what Steve said. I'm going with the Niners. So you went all that, you went the whole way around to pick the Niners. Because well, of the threw, numbers. The numbers. He, uh, I, I, I picked the number three as the scoring margin and yeah. didn't even know anything about those. We, Perfect. We could sit here and play prop bets all day, too, with like the, the national anthem length and coin flip and first quarter, all that. We could sit here all day and do that, too. I have a sneaky feeling, and I could be absolutely dead wrong. That's what happens with these kinds of things. But that this could be a low-scoring Super Bowl. See, it, it really could. I think it has to be, in some ways, a high-scoring game for the Chiefs to win, which I'll be the contrarian here, and I'll pick Kansas City to win, and here's why. I think the Super Bowl is a giant game of validation, no matter what year it is. What are we looking to validate here? If the 49ers win, that says they shut down Patrick Mahomes to a degree. Jimmy Garoppolo threw eight times in the NFC Championship game. And the 49ers <laughs> won. He threw the ball. eight. He didn't complete eight passes. The ball came out of his hand forward eight times. And the 49ers beat down the Packers. Sorry, Steve. No offense. No offense. They please. have a cool nickname running right now, too, which is the Legion of Zoom. They're back. They're running their backfield. So if the 49ers beat Kansas City, it's that that defense now gets grouped with the Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom. And we're talking about one season run like... And I know the 85 Bears are the top of the mountain that everybody likes to bring up. But we're talking about one of those historic runs in that regard. That's if the 49ers win. If the Chiefs win, that is total validation for everything that people believe about Patrick Mahomes. And Andy Reid. And Andy Reid, That's Andy Reid getting over the hump, first of all. Second of all, that's Patrick Mahomes being validated as this generation's top dog at quarterback. In a league where you got the guys like Russell Wilson and think of the season Lamar Jackson had, and now you got Brady kind of coming down a bit, Rivers coming down a bit, Roethlisberger coming down a bit, Eli Manning retired, that generation's fizzing away. 
Now you have to find who's that guy in the next generation. This would solidify, punctuate Patrick Mahomes as the top dog if he beats this 49er defense. I can't argue with that. Um, you know, last his his season of 2018 was, was especially remarkable. The numbers weren't quite the same. He missed some games to injury this year. He is that guy, barring injury. Lamar Jackson is just a freak athlete. And I'm not sure, though, how long it's going to last. It only takes one hit and, uh, you know, you're RG3. So uh, I like I like Mahomes' chances of being that guy with probably some other quarterbacks that we're not even seeing yet because they're coming out of college. But uh, if there's a rooting interest for a person in, in particular, if, if you're a follower of football and coaches, Andy Reid. I mean, the guy has been... He's had a number of close calls in the playoffs, can't seem to get over the hump. Everybody you talk to in football seems to love that guy, and uh, that would be a... a He's a good storyline. Absolutely. Well, and then also, just to, as a, if you're a casual fan, just looking to see some athleticism on display, two, two great examples, and, and Patrick Mahomes, maybe other than Lamar Jackson, is the best athlete in the NFL, but Nick Bosa's also fun to watch, oh, and yeah. I'm pretty sure his arms are also two other Bosa brothers. His <laughs> arms are people. They're in, it's ridiculous. So, for entertainment purposes, the current spread is at Kansas City favored by a point and a half. That's how close this thing is. And the over-under total is at 54 and a half. So if it's a low-scoring game, theoretically, this would favor the 49ers. And if it's a high-scoring game, theoretically, should favor the Chiefs. But, that's all going to be settled this Sunday down at South Beach. When the 49ers and the Chiefs take the field for Super Bowl 54. Any final thought before we get out of here, Steve? Yeah, I just hope it's a good game. Last year was kind of a, a blah fest, 13-3. One of the most boring and low-scoring games in Super Bowl history, which is something you didn't expect. I don't know how to quantify most boring, but it was Jared, definitely most boring. If Jared Goff is your quarterback, you're getting ketchup on a filet mignon. I'm a Rams fan, I can say that. <laughs> Jared Goff is ketchup on a filet mignon. You have this wow. beautiful steak, right, in the Rams offense and Sean McVay's system. And you have a stud running back in Todd Gurley when he's healthy. And you have Cooper Cup, who is my favorite player ever. And you have Robert Woods. And you have all these guys on offense. Gerald Everett, Tyler Higbee. And then you get Jared Goff as your quarterback. And he is just ketchup. You have that beautiful steak. And then you dump a bottle of ketchup. I won't, I won't expose Heinz because... Wow, because of your Steelers guy. connection. Because my Pennsylvania connection. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to expose Heinz, but you put that ketchup on it, just ketchup. What about that non, just that nondescript brand that says catsup? Wow, that's Jared I get Goff. the point, Corey. I didn't know we'd we'd be, we'd be concluding here smearing Jared Goff with but ketchup. That's nice. That's nice. I'll do it. I'm allowed to do it since I root for that team. But you're right. Last year was not a great game. This year figures to be a great game. Phil, did you have any final thought? I'd take the Niners to win outright and the points if I were uh, entertaining myself with... If you uh, took the drove across the state yeah, line up north. Yeah, for, for entertainment purposes. Surprise! After a little bad music and through the magic of editing, sports editor Scott McNeish has appeared magically in the podcast recording room. That's the kind of things we bring to you people. Just things you don't see coming. You're looking left and we're coming right. Just magic. Magic, exactly. That, you took the word out of my mouth and it's perfect. Magic. Scott's here. Abracadabra. S- Steve has exited the room. 
And in lieu of Super Bowl 54 week, I thought for our editor's perspective segment, Scott, we could take, and by I thought, I mean you suggested, we could take a look at our favorite Super Bowl, whether it is as a fan of the team that's in it, maybe your team won it, maybe you just had a favorite moment from that game and that's what brought it about. But Scott, me, you, and Phil, let's talk about this. And Scott, I want to start with you because I know that you have a litany of answers. In fact, you have 53 of them to choose from. I do. Yeah, thank you. Yes. I'm impressed by your math. But (laughs) um, here's the thing. I think the best Super Bowl so far, there's been some good ones, but the best one for me so far, it was just a couple years ago when the Patriots beat the Falcons. It's the only one that's gone to overtime unbelievable comeback I know people don't like the Patriots I'm sorry but I think that cemented Tom Brady is the best ever and then they wanted an overtime and and people say they'll cheat or whatever but the the truth is that the Falcons that should be game over and it wasn't and it turned into in my opinion the best Super Bowl I think when I look at my favorite versus what I thought the best game that I saw was I think the best game that I saw it was Super Bowl 42 when the Patriots they were undefeated going in. Mm. It was the 18-0. and 0, And then King Eli Manning, the Brady Slayer, yeah. comes in and wins one out of two as the <laughs> Giants beat the Patriots 17-14. to 14. David Tyree. Yeah, that's the, stick the, that's ball the to best the play ever in that, the Super Bowl. It's between that and then literally the year after, Santonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone against the Cardinals. Yeah, it was, that with was the, really With the catch impressive. for the Steelers yeah. to cement Ben Roethlisberger. He should have caught it against his helmet, and then it would be a done deal. The best <laughs> play ever. And that was zone. an incredible play, though. Yeah. It really was. I mean, I, as a Browns fan, I, I can't sign off on any of that stuff. I can't even acknowledge the Super Bowl as a real game. It's just something that happens <laughs> to other NFL teams. Um, and for that, my favorite two Super Bowls are Super Bowl twenty two, which is when Doug Williams unloaded for five touchdowns in the second quarter and destroyed the Denver Broncos that destroyed my hopes and dreams as a child. Um, And then after that, I really loved, and it's funny because I love this one because it involves the zombie Browns, the Baltimore Ravens, the Harbaugh Bowl, Super Bowl 47. It was a good, it was a weird game. And they had, me and my friend also dressed up as coaches, to watch that game so that was fun and then the power went out yeah it was mm-hmm. just it was weird it was just a weird game and it it came it came down to a final throw you know and it that game was a blowout for a long time and then the 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 power outage helped the 49ers it was just a weird fun it was fun it was just a fun day that game made Joe Flacco very, very rich. That game oh. did make Flacco rich. <laughs> oh, right. That worked out. Right. But for me, my favorite one, and this is only because I was born in Chicago in 1985, is the Super Bowl twenty with the Chicago Bears against the New England Patriots. Not, that is a cool one. That's your father's New England Patriots. It is. But that, that team was awesome. Such a fun team to watch. They kicked the crap out of them. The Super Bowl Shuffle is Super untouchable. Super Bowl Shuffle was, is still a classic. It should be anyway. Kids, I'm going to listen to that after this show. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't, if you don't know what that is, Google it. It's awesome. Uh, Refrigerator Perry scored a touchdown. The People only in thing the mid twenties may not know what that is. <laughs> I don't. The, the only reason I wouldn't put it on top is because Walter Payton, who's my favorite athlete of all time, did not score a touchdown, which should have been a felony. But other than that, it was it was my I think my favorite because it's my favorite team. My personal favorite with my favorite team was Super Bowl thirty four 
Rams over the Titans, 23-16. Mike Jones with the game-saving tackle on the one-yard line. And Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce tearing it up with a buck 54 to go. Bruce 73 yards from Kurt Warner. And both caught over 100 yards. Holt had 109. Bruce had 162. And growing up, my favorite NFL player was Torrey Holt. And that was just one of the coolest things. Because my dad, again, growing up in the 70s, this is when the Rams were in L.A. And sports were on TV back then. L.A., New York, Boston, right? Philadelphia, I guess. So that was that was his team, the Rams growing up, which is why he absolutely despises Pittsburgh. It's because in 1979, when the Steelers beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, that would have been in 80. And then he was a Baltimore Orioles fan growing up because of Brooks Robinson. And that year, the Pirates beat the Orioles in the World Series. So <laughs> that's my dad's uh, spawn hatred of the city of Pittsburgh and their sports teams. But my affinity for the St. Louis, now LA Rams, came mostly from that Super Bowl. Well, don't take us back to your hatred of Jared Goff. No, we don't have to. We've heard it. Jared Goff is no Kurt Warner, though. We'll say that. That's fair. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, Scott, thanks for the few minutes. What are your thoughts for this weekend's game between the Chiefs and the 49ers? Who do you got? I like the Chiefs. I know that that the 49ers are going to rush the passer like crazy. They're going to try to to pound on the ground, and and maybe that'll happen, but I think Patrick Mahomes is just not human, and so he's going to find a way – to get past or before, I guess, uh, all those past rushers, uh, Bosa and all those guys. So I think the Chiefs have way too much offense for 49ers defense. So the room is split. Steve and Phil got the 49ers. Scott and I have the Chiefs. We'll see what happens this weekend. I'm only taking the 49ers because of the numerology chart, though. It's just the, the way it, it's just the way it worked out. The the numbers just that's the way that it's been divined. The stars are aligning. That's right for the numbers games to that's play right. out. That's right. We'll find out, I guess, in just a few days here as those two teams kick off from Miami. But for now, we will be signing off here on Glass City Game Time again. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and sharing. We always appreciate it. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, basically anywhere podcasts are found. So for Steve Junga, for Scott McNeish, for Phil Kaplan, my name is Corey Crisson. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.